You're listening to Motor Mouth with Andrew McCready and David Booth. Thanks for tuning in to the latest Motor Mouth podcast. In addition to his senior writing duties for Post Media Driving, which includes the National Post and Driving.ca, David Booth hosts a panel series called Driving into the Future, which brings automotive and technology leaders to the table to discuss emerging topics in the mobility sector. Think of it as Charlie Rose for gearheads. My name is Andrew McCready, and I'm the host of this Motormouth podcast. Hello, David. Hey, how you doing? Very well. So your most recent Driving into the Future dealt with the emerging use of hydrogen as a legitimate fuel for vehicles. In my opinion, it was one of the most informative episodes of the series to date, and judging from the number of questions sent in by the public, hydrogen is a fuel to be reckoned with. What was your biggest takeaway from the episode? How quickly hydrogen is being reconsidered as a, as a fuel for mobility in just the last 12 months. Um, being an old hadithist, I can remember 10, 12, 14 years ago when... Uh, when the idea of zero emission mobility was starting, um, the battery expositions and the hydrogen expositions were neck and neck in terms of importance to industry and everything else. And, um, you know, there was as many hydrogen powered prototypes being displayed and actually driven as there were battery powered. And then, uh, you know, credit a lot of things, uh, you know, maybe lower expense, credit to Elon Musk and Tesla, um, batteries took off and hydrogens went, uh, hydrogen went straight into the doldrums. So the biggest takeaway, not only from this podcast, uh, this um, panel we had, which is called the Hydrogen Revival, but also the news behind hydrogen right now is how very much it's back in the forefront and that this time they have to get it right. Uh, absolutely must get it right. The entire industry has to work hand in hand. They have to cooperate. There has to be government cooperation. But there's an opportunity now for uh, a second um, uh, zero and low emissions alternative to battery power. And hopefully um, uh, the industry will step up and take this opportunity. Yeah, I think what I, you're, you're right. I mean, you, you know, Vancouver, my backyard Ballard fuel cells, you know, back in the day, 20 years ago was a huge company. Mercedes was involved. Um, what I took away from your was very similar from the panel in that these companies have been working all along. These, there's been hundreds, if not thousands of people in the hydrogen sector that have just been working quietly away in the last couple of decades. And, and your panel kind of revealed the result of that. I mean, talk about the, the, again, a British Columbia company. Um, which to me was really the the highlight of the of the panel discussion was the the conversion of trucks. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's really, really, truly amazing. And 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 one of the reasons why uh, I'll just backtrack just a bit. One of the reasons why hydrogen is 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 um, enjoying this renaissance is because I think more than a few people are realizing that while battery power will almost assuredly be the forerunner and the majority of of uh, zero emission um, powertrains going forward it can't satisfy all of the uh, zero emissions powertrains going forward um, there's cost there's rapidity of conversion um, there's range 
lots of considerations where batteries aren't the best. And that's where you see somebody like Hydra coming in. Um, what Hydra does is, is it's ingenious. It's not only ingenious for the fact that it works and uh, it accomplishes exactly what it's supposed to do, which is reduce emissions in diesel trucks, but it, it's ingenious because it's simple. I mean, the, the most sophisticated engineering in the world is the simplest engineering. And, and the hydro um, um, conversions of diesel trucks to hydrogen is truly amazing. Um, what, what they basically do is they put uh, out of 40 kilogram, it might go to 50 fairly shortly, tank in the back of the uh, cab, on the outside, on the back. And it's really the only complicated mechanical bit of the whole system. Uh, it holds about, um, um, like I said, 40, it'll go to 50 uh, kilograms fairly shortly. That helps extend the range of one of those diesel trucks to about a thousand kilometers. And then it's piped into the engine compartment and in the most simple possible um, uh, connection, it's um, in, hydrogen is injected into the intake manifold and basically mixes with the air coming from the turbo before it hits the uh, uh, cylinders in the combustion chamber. And then it's mixed with the diesel inside the combustion chamber. And, and Bob's your uncle. Uh, you've got maybe half diesel, half hydrogen, um, in uh, combusting internal in in the um, in the uh, in the combustion chamber, getting just as much power as you get out of it with uh, full diesel, but reducing emissions thanks to the fact that there's no uh, carbon in the hydrogen, um, and so it's it's really completely ingenious. Um, um, let me ramble here for a minute if you don't mind, but it's. The conversion is so cheap that Hydra is offering it for free um, as long as you uh, sign a contract to uh, get a, uh, hydrogen supplied by their company, I think, for five, five, uh, for five years. It takes only two days to do the entire conversion. All of the conversion is done without modifying anything other than one single hose in the intake track. In other words, you could take the whole system off and it is basically, uh, it, there's nothing um, that has to be re-welded or re-put back into the, uh, into the engine. It's because it's external, completely external to the engine. It is, um, uh, it's completely um, warrantable. It does not vo void the original manufacturer's warranty. Um, um, and and here's the real kicker, um, uh, and really the raison d'etre to all of this. How, the amount of carbon dioxide reduced is directly proportional to how much hydrogen you input into the engine. In other words, uh, when they started off, I think they started off with 30% hydrogen, and they got a 30% reduction in um in uh in co2 emitted they're up to 40 percent now and they've got a 40 percent reduction in co2 and they're going to be at 50 i think by christmas and they're expecting to have cut co2 um, uh, emissions of a large diesel engine by half by something that takes two days to install does no modifications to the engine and actually reduces the overall cost of ownership about 
5% on a per mile basis. It's truly ingenious. So from a, from a driver's perspective, is there anything different in the way the vehicle drives or what the driver needs to do to, to make this happen? Not at all. And nothing at all. I mean, the, the only difference totally from the driver's perspective is they have a gauge, a second gauge. Uh, so obviously they have instrumentation for the diesel aspect of it um, uh, that comes with the truck in the dashboard and everything else. And they get sort of a tablet, an extra tablet, which tells them uh, how much hydrogen they have remaining in the tank, uh, what percentage of hydrogen they're using. And it also, I think it also has uh, some little readout of how much CO2 they've been reduced, but there's nothing, it's completely turnkey. And in fact, and in fact, that's probably the best thing about all of this is that um, I attended another seminar and this one was for truck industry personnel only, but I come somehow snuck in. And I was talking with another company that does something similar, but only in Germany, and also talking to some people from Cummins who are building an all hydrogen piston engine for some of their trucks. And the reason why this is so important right now is that the trucking industry is already having trouble finding people to work, as with so many industries. It, uh, it's, you know, uh, personnel is short and uh, drivers and mechanics are, you know, highly desired and sought after right now. And what they're hearing from their drivers and technicians is that they're really happy with diesels. This is what they know. This is what they fix. This is how, what they drive. They're comfortable with it. They, they don't want to change. They really don't want to change the, 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 concept of fuel cells is um, not something they want to deal with either from a driving or a wrenching standpoint of uh, point of view and and since most of them are old you know the the industry is quite old it's you know the average age is well over 50. the fact is is most of them a lot of them and maybe not most of them are saying um, the uh, that they might retire if they have to change over to a fuel cell vehicle Okay, which of course gets to zero emissions. But from what I can gather, um, they just changing basically all this does is change the inlet system. They have no object. It's not the zero emissions part that they they object to. It's this complete different powertrain. It's it's not their truck as it were. And so from what I can gather from the uh, this trucking seminar pretty much everybody agreed that the number one reason to convert to a piston-powered hydrogen engine as opposed to going the full fuel cell, even though that is more efficient, is because it'll help them retain their current drivers and technicians, which is a huge worry for them. It's something I never would have thought of, but it appears to be um, a, a major impetus for this technology to grow. Right. And also, I mean, from a from a emission standpoint, as you say, the fuel cells more efficient, you're going to have zero emission. This 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 um, combustion engine with hydrogen mixture, you're still having emissions, but you're cutting them in half. It sounds like Hydra's goal is to do that. So it, it's kind of like a, a, a bridge to the future, which will be, you know, full hydrogen in the in the big rigs and things. And since those vehicles account for such a large amount of transportation emissions in Canada and around the world for that matter. It's, it's a, it's a segment that needs 
um, addressing quickly. And let's face it, the the BEV, the battery model for big trucks is a non-starter. It's oh, it's complete non-starter. And I, I won't even discuss it with people anymore. Like they're going to say, oh, we're going to ship uh, trucks, three, uh, you know, uh, truck shipping on a 3,000 mile route with a battery powered truck. I, you know, short haul trucks, maybe the 200 my yeah, yeah. and stuff like no that. No question. I, yeah. You can't, like, as soon as you say, uh, you know, I'm going to ship apples from Florida to uh, Toronto via a battery powered truck, like, I just shut down. There's just no point in talking about that. The one thing about the piston power, and I suspect that piston hydrogen will last a lot longer than, say, synthetic fuel gasoline in cars, is because, um, well, one, it's so cheap to do. Okay, um, uh, uh, it, it, it's from what I can gather, it's it's almost dirt cheap. I, I'd, I'd hazard a guess, and, and I don't want to, I really don't like saying this out loud, but it's not a $10,000 conversion. It's not. Other, I mean, the only thing that costs anything really is the, um, is the, uh, the tanks. The, the actual injection system, and there's a computer controlling the injection system. As I said, the injection system is very simple. Anybody who's ever put um, a, a nitrous oxide system in a hot rod car could actually would actually completely recognize the injection system in these trucks. It's dirt simple. Um, the other thing is is that uh, fuel cells uh, are are going to take a long time to develop. And so, you know, um, and while, and again, they're more efficient. On the other hand, I will, from what I gather from the, uh, from the industry, they will be able to get these piston engines at a hundred percent hydrogen. It is possible. Right now they're aiming for 50, but the goal is, let us be fully understanding a hundred percent. Um, and, uh, and they probably will get to 100% hydrogen with pistons before there is widespread use of long haul trucks with uh, fuel cells. Uh, so, and the amount of CO2 reduction, I mean, you can get a few arguments, but when, even when, when you're running on 100% hydrogen, they might put out a bit of CO2, but it's very, very little. It's like 97, 98, 99% reduced. So, you know, it, 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 it continues to be that direct relationship with, between the percentage of hydrogen uh, used and the, uh, and the uh, percentage of CO2 reduced. And, and I want to reinforce this. They are aiming for 100%. I believe that this num a company called KU in Germany does have a prototype piston engine running on 100% hydrogen in a diesel truck as we speak. Yeah, and and you know, getting back to the the kind of work that's being done on the hydrogen world, um, as you mentioned, Germany. I mean, we have someone in Vancouver and British Columbia, Hydra, that is doing this. So a lot of bright minds are working on this, and in conjunction, as with the electric vehicle industry, um, you know, it, it's it's going to be exponential growth once it kind of starts to spread. And Hydra, from what I understand, the BC company actually has vehicles out there rolling around right now. They have uh, just under 20 right now under contract. And I believe it'll be somewhere around just under 100 by the end of the year right now. And, and let's understand something. Everybody's talking about new cars. And as so many people, including the people that are talking about synthetic gas, uh, they're promoting it so that it can be used in older piston cars 
um, as 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 we transition. Correct. It's the same with these with these uh, diesel trucks. I mean, the oldest one they've converted, I believe, is 2007. They've done a 2023 and they've done a 2007. And from what I gather, 2007 is about as far back as they can go because of the uh, uh, the engine controller uh, technology in, in diesels at that time, you know, the ECU. Um, so that's a lot of trucks that can be converted. Uh, you know, I mean, if, if they could just get 50% of uh, of the CO2 uh, emitted by every truck between 2000 that's uh, on the road between 2007 and 2023 with the mileage those guys put in and the amount of CO2 they produce you know i mean it it, it would be mind blowing to get that much carbon out of the atmosphere so seemingly easy uh, as as this system is to produce again it's ingenious in its simplicity and I'm sure the control software is 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 um, uh, is uh, is complicated and sophisticated, but the actual mechanics of it not hard to do at all. Not hard to do at all. Very I guess, right. I, I guess there is an upstream challenge in in supplying more hydrogen, um, which was touched upon on the panel. The, the you know the production of hydrogen, the production of green hydrogen, as they call it, ones that don't use fossil fuels in the electrolysis process. So, you know, my takeaway again from, from this thing was how, as you say, hydrogen has kind of been quietly going about its business and is kind of emerging as, as a real world solution to some of our problems. Well, the other thing that um, you sort of touched on just now that we revealed um, in our uh, driving into the future panel was um uh, uh, a research team at the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology in Australia, led by Nasir Mahmoud. And he was on our program and was telling us how they can now um, uh, produce hydrogen from the electrolysis of seawater. And this is a huge breakthrough because, uh, uh, you know, uh, previously you need uh, um, uh, fresh water to be able to do it. And, uh, you know, ca in Canada, we don't have any problems with supply of fresh water, but in most countries, um, uh, fresh water is um, uh, a limited supply. And so, you know, uh, creating hydrogen from water um, is uh, the, uh, fresh water that's an expendable and non-renewable resource uh, for them uh, is uh, is a touchy subject. Being able to do it with seawater on their hand, which is virtually, uh, there's a virtually infinite supply, is really, really important um, from a number of reasons. For one, uh, a lot of the work with hydrogen fuel cell trucks is occurring at seaports already. Seaports, by definition, are right on the um, on the uh, edge of nations, uh, usually in places that are getting a lot of sunshine and a ton of wind. That's why uh, Porsche is building that synthetic plant in uh, Pointe Arenas because it has tons of wind and a good supply, therefore, of, of green electricity for the electrolysis. And 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 the uh, the gentleman from uh, the doctor from um, from uh, RMIT in in Australia, they've been able to create um, um, again pure hydrogen, completely green from seawater without the normal byproduct of chlorine, which is something we 
um, don't necessarily want, and, and this is actually quite poisonous. I can vouch for that because I, I inhaled some chlorine in a lab experiment in my youth, and I can tell you, you don't want that stuff in your lungs. Um, uh, but, and he's able to do it. More importantly, and he's promising because um, the the trick in his technology is the catalyst. Not only does this catalyst allow you to um, um, do the uh, seawater separation without chlorine, but it's also, he says, about 10 to 100,000 times cheaper than the materials they currently use for catalysts. So he's saying that by, I think it's either 2027 or 2028, that they're going to be, have, be able to have pilot plants uh, up and running that can build or, or create hydrogen for between a dollar and a dollar and a half US per kilogram. That's about a quarter of the cost now and about half the cost of the best projections I've seen. And at, at a buck to a buck and a half um, US a kilogram, you're talking about hydrogen that is um, uh, on a, for a vehicle uh, on, on a comparable price with current gasoline and diesel. Yeah, for, for, for comparison's sake, I, I'm driving the Toyota Mirai right now, um, a fuel cell hydrogen car, filled it up yesterday here in North Vancouver where there's a SO station with a hydrogen pump run by HTEC. And um, I was paying $14 a kilogram. Yeah, which is work, it works out to like $11, $10 a, a, a US a kilogram. He's yeah. saying that, uh, uh, but the, the, the way it works from what I understand is the challenge that was put out for, um, the, by the uh, Australian government, um, for, to be able to qualify for the various awards, which are monetary, uh, they had to prove that they can be able to create um, um, hydrogen for less than $2 Australia. And, and they say they can do that by 2027 or 2028. Uh, you do the numbers and, and the hydrogen would be easily comparable to gasoline. It would, especially as I suspect, you know, as, as demand goes up for electricity for cars, the price there will go up. It's possible that the, the last, uh, sort of, bugaboo or or denigration of hydrogen uh, compared to electricity which is that it's more expensive could fall by the wayside sooner than we think i i think i i i'm not sure it'll ever get quite as cheap as plugging a uh, car into your um uh, home socket uh, might be uh, uh you know from a cost comparison but i believe it will be within the realm of competition with current battery electric pricing, which is just amazing if they can get hydrogen down to that cost. Okay, well, that's uh, the hydrogen story. It's wonderful to hear. It's one in the automotive world we've talked about for decades, it seems. And um, it seems now things are kind of coming to a head and, and solution, real world solutions are being accomplished. Governments are starting to get behind it. Industry certainly is. And um, as I say, that driving into the future episode was a great one um, on so many aspects to cover real world and also theoretical stuff. So well done on you, David. Thank you very much. So we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be right back. And we're back. Okay, we'll leave that hydrogen talk behind us and move on to a subject you tackled in your latest Motormouth column, David. 
and that is the challenge facing fighter fighters when dealing with an electric vehicle fire. From your research, and as I know you, you probably did enough to write a doctorate paper on the paper on the topic. What's the problem here? Um, okay, first off, because I'm always accused of being unfair to uh, uh, battery electric vehicles, I want to state out right off the front uh, front here: electric cars catch on fire a lot less often than gas cars. I will say it again, just in case somebody missed it. Electric cars do not catch us on fire as often as gas cars. Okay, we're everybody's on the same page. However, when they do, oh boy, it's a doozy. Um, the, the problem is manifold, it's a chemical reaction. Really the biggest problem putting out electric fires is that the electric fires happens at the cellular level, whether it's a, you know one of those cylindrical little batteries that Tesla uses, or it's one of the pouches that GM uses. When they catch fire, it's the cells themselves. The problem is the cells themselves are encased in a sheathing, the, the battery case. And so what the fire guys are doing is they're just hosing down the, ex uh, the external of the, uh, uh, of the case and cooling the case very well, but, but that's not cooling the, um, the, the, the cells that are on fire themselves. Can you imagine if you had a fire in the basement and you, the firefighters were just pouring um, um, water on the roof? not going to do much to put out the fire in your basement, is it? So uh, some of the statistics are just flabbergasting. Um, uh, and the, all these statistics are coming, you know, again, not from the Twitter sphere or Facebook or whatever. They're actually coming from the various firefighters associations I dug up. Again, that research uh, you made light of just before. And in a worst case scenario, there's been cases where it they've documented it takes 40,000 gallons of water to put out an electric vehicle fire, 40,000 gallons. That's not a misnomer or a mistype or a mispronunciation. It's 40,000 gallons. By comparison, to give you a bit of comparison, um, a nice, uh, you know, combustion powered gasoline fed car takes about 500 to 1,000 gallons to put out. Um, a small house fire, one that is uh, caught before it gets out of control, is maybe 1,500 to 3,500 gallons. A really big fire, another one, like a house fire that takes three hours to put out, is 20,000 gallons. Again, a, a, the worst case of an EV is much worse than, um, than even a big house fire. Um, and another number for you is tanker trucks, uh, fire trucks, that uh, they're actually called fire engines, I found out, um, that put out these fires. They, the small ones hold 500 gallons. Uh, the um, the um, uh, big ones are 1250, 1500 gallons. The average is probably about a thousand. In other words, uh, one fire engine can easily put out a, a, um, um, a gas car fire. Uh, they, they won't even bother starting on, on a, on an EV fire if they, if, if, you know, they don't have a hydrant or something close by, they're not going to get it out. It's a really big problem. Um, all the solutions at the beginning were all about submerging your, um, EV. I know that there was places, uh, I'm in Italy now, but uh, both in Italy and in Germany, uh, that 
would actually hook, get the car on fire on hooks, lift it up and put it in a, like a garbage container full of water. They would actually have a truck ready with, uh, um, with a, a container. They'd drive it there, fill it up with, with water and submerge the, uh, submerged the EV. There's a, there was a case in, I think, Sacramento where they couldn't put out the fire. So what they did is they hooked the car, flipped it on its side while it was burning, dug a pit underneath it, filled that with water, and then submerged the car in the pit they had dug. Like, it's really hard to put out a, um, 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 an EV fire. And, and, and it's hard to keep them out. Um, the record that I know of, of a car, uh, an EV, it was a Tesla that was supposedly completely, you know, extinguished and they dra- drug it off to a junkyard. And then six days later, it caught on fire again and started burning and burning other stuff in the, in the junkyard. In other words, I'm trying to paint a picture of cars that are very difficult to uh, put out the fire and very difficult to be sure you've put out the fire. And that's why a couple of companies have come up with something new. Um, one system that d- does it has a 600 PSI um, uh, fire extinguisher, like very high pressure. And then they've added um, um, some sandblasting material to, uh, to the, uh, to the uh, mixture. So they just basically sandblast with water pressure, 600 PSI and cut holes and basically cut the battery uh, package in half and then they're able to get directly to that cellular fire and they use much less water this way than it would be from a traditional system and then the really most ingenious one um, probably trickier to use is that there's a system with a spike and they put uh, put a, a high pressure gun sort of thing under the car right under the battery um, with 600 PSI, they put a spike through the battery casing um, that is self-sealing and it has a, you know, fairly small holes, a hole, and then they attach a hose to this hole and then they pump in water. And basically at that point in time, they say they need just the pressure from a garden hose, like eight gallons a minute and they just flood that entire chamber and the water just stays there. They take, you know, some of it evaporates and they put in a bit more and that can extinguish the fire very, very easily. But these are all new systems, especially this spike system. It's barely six months old, I believe. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously a huge training curve for all the firefighters in markets with EVs, which is everywhere. Um, and also a huge cost, I'm sure, to outfit these 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 uh, departments with this technology to train them to to, you know, all that. So, um, again, an unintended co- consequence of the EV revolution, I suppose, and one we're, we're just tackling with with technology. Well, I, I, I've got to I've also got to say to this last bit you just mentioned, the training, uh, a shout out to firefighters. I mean. You know, firefighters are the one job in the whole world. I, I don't think there's anybody that has anything bad to say about firefighters. But even with this in my research, I'm still humbled by them. You know, I mean, obviously they're brave. Who would have been, who else would go up the, the Twin Towers, you know, when, when a plane flew into them and exploded like that? Like, I mean, the, the, you know, beyond brave. But beyond that, they they got to be 
pretty darn smart because one of the things, part of that research you mentioned, I read the entire technical bul uh, bulletin put out for a, I think it was a 2016 uh, Tesla Model S. Okay. And there's a, two a, I think it's 26 page bulletin. And it's mostly on all of the safety aspects of it, but it's all geared towards firefighters and all the things they got to do. Now, not all of the 26 pages is about fire specifically, but they have to know everything in that, uh, in that thing to be able to work on these cars. Absolutely everything. It tells you wh where to cut, where not to cut. Uh, you know, don't bend the battery. There's, it's sufficiently technical. Um, you need to be smart to be able to understand it. But that's for one car. Um, I don't think Tesla's changed that much that it goes year by year, but I'm guessing they changed a little bit so that there's updates. But that's still only one EV. Um, Tesla has four models. There are 50, 60 models of, of uh, EVs out there now, for which I'm guessing all of their um, technical um, literature is of the same kind of, uh, complication, yeah. um, you know, specifically location. You know, if you cut this battery, you're going to get a, a line, you're going to get electrocuted. If you cut this, you'll be fine. Yeah. And so, you know, 20 pages each times 50 cars, that's a thousand pages of you better get it right because you're going to get electrocuted if you don't get it wrong. If you yeah. get it wrong. Yeah. They're going to um, have experts on cruise, essentially. I, Big props out to the firefighters who go and do this. Big props for the, all the studying they have to do. Um, um, I, it's just, it, it was humbling, to be honest with you. All right, we've got a humble David Booth, and I think we're going to leave it there. Thanks, thanks, for, uh, thanks for everything today, David. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for joining David and myself on the Motor Mouth Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion, and we'll have another one coming out in three weeks' time. Be sure to look for David's weekly Motormouth column on driving.ca every Friday. And if you're more of a podcast person than a video panel watcher, great news as we've recently converted driving into the future panels into podcasts, which you can now find on the Motormouth podcast channel on all the major podcast streaming services. For your dose of all things automotive, be sure to check out driving.ca where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews. And be sure, sure to subscribe to the Motormouth podcast and Post Media's other three auto-related podcasts. Plugged in pertaining to all things electric vehicles and hosted by yours truly. The Driving Podcast, hosted by Lorraine Sommerfeld. And the Truck Guy Podcast, hosted by Matthew Guy. Listen to these wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Until the next time.